Welcome to Dwelling on Dreams. I am Taylor, a Ravenclaw. And I'm Victoria, a Hufflepuff. And we'd like to thank you for joining us as we take a deep dive into the wizarding world and all of its inhabitants. And for all of you who haven't read the books or seen the movies, we would like to warn you that there are spoilers ahead. Today on Dwelling on Dreams, we are going to celebrate slash mourn some of the most significant events in the Harry Potter series. Uh, on the 24th of June is the anniversary of Voldemort's return, and that happened in 1995. So this would be, what, the 25th anniversary? And then also, two years later, on the 30th, uh, Dumbledore died. Yeah. Two of the most shocking and disturbing events of the entire Harry Potter series both happened at the end of June, and we're going to uh, be talking about them <laughs> today. <laughs> yes. And on a lighter note, though, <laughs> this is also the time that our students at Hogwarts would typically be having the leaving feast, where the house cup is awarded to the house with the most points, mm -hmm. and our students are getting ready to board the Hogwarts Express on the way back to London. Yes. And of course, this also usually in the Harry Potter books has a sense of melancholy since Harry's going back to the Dursleys, but mm -hmm. for the majority of students, and since Harry's not there, are the students now, for the most <laughs> part, uh, this is a time of, you know, start the start of summer, the... The parents get to see their kids again, yep. especially those who, you know, like Hermione, just don't bother to give them the time of day during the school year. So, yeah, and leave them during the summer. So, yeah. you know, time is short. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel like that's that should be in the pamphlet for the Muggleborn parents. Yeah. The first, you know, cherish the moment. To, <laughs> explain to them what's going on. Your parents, your kids are coming and you're rarely going to see them again ever. Yeah, pretty much because they don't want to be in your world right now. Yes. So as we mentioned, this is the anniversary of Dumbledore's death, but we are actually going to focus more on Voldemort's return, which happened in book four and really was the turning point of the series. I mm -hmm. think it goes from being a kid series to bam, Voldemort returns. Harry goes through some things that he's never really experienced before and never had to deal with before. And then starting in book five, we are in a darker place. <laughs> that is putting it lightly. <laughs> we have, you know, puberty and death and, Lots of different things that kind of kick off with book four. Yeah. And Harry begins hating everything. Yeah. Teenage angst activated. Yes. Go. Yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and how the mechanics of that, if you will, of everything that happened that night. There's a lot of implications for later in the book that people don't understand. And one of them that we're going to talk about is the blood ritual. Well, it's not a blood ritual. It was a ritual used to rebuild Voldemort's body in which he uses Harry's blood. So for our wit and wisdom, we are going to give a Dumbledore quote in which he kind of succinctly describes what happened. Not entirely, which is why we're going to have to expound upon it later, yeah. but kind of hit the bird's eye view of what happened that night with Harry's blood in Voldemort's body. Thinking to strengthen himself, he took a part of your mother's sacrifice into himself. If he could only have understood the precise and terrible power of that sacrifice, he would not perhaps have dared to touch your blood. But then, if he had been able to understand, he could not be Lord Voldemort, and he might never have murdered at all. Yeah. Wise words from Dumbledore, yes. which is shocking. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that kind of it's a very it's a neat sum, summation of Lily Potter and Lord Voldemort and blood sacrifice all at once, while also being entirely vague enough to be. <laughs> qualified as a Dumbledore quote yes uh even when he's dead and explaining things to Harry in order to help him go back and save the world he's he's vague except when talking about himself <laughs> so also in this episode since we're talking about Voldemort's resurrection and the end of book four we cannot let this opportunity go by without discussing our 
just amazing Hufflepuff representation from the current Hufflepuff in this podcast um, of Cedric Diggory's death and his character just a little bit throughout the fourth book of what we get to see of him. And Taylor did staunchly defend him last episode. So we had to bring this back out the next episode. Show my work. Show her work, yes. And just um, briefly go over him as he featured and his impact on Harry, just kind of moving forward. Yeah. So Cedric Diggory, the hero of Hufflepuff House. That was not supposed to be alliterated, but there we go. Parted so soon. Yes. Prisoner of Azkaban, we get introduced to this popular, athletic, good-looking Hufflepuff. Yay! <laughs> and kind of, as I said, the uh, the person that Hufflepuff claims as its... Poster part- child. Poster child. I was going to say champion, but I couldn't. That's <laughs> <laughs> not what we need to say. No. Um, and the only person to ever beat Harry mm-hmm. at Quidditch. Mm-hmm. Um, there were technicalities, though, involved in that. I am a Hufflepuff, and I will admit that yeah. it's not completely a fair representation and cedric would admit that too yes but he was a very fair person yes which is a hufflepuff kind of trait yes um and it came out a lot in book four but yes harry uh was attacked by dementors and passed out so they won but uh. yeah (laughs) 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 um but yes but he was a very good quidditch player everybody agreed even though it wasn't necessarily a fair and you know outright victory he was and everybody seemed to love him even Slytherins, who probably didn't genuinely like him, but they didn't oppose him when he was the champion. Yeah. It was partially a ploy to just embarrass Harry, but they did support him. Great. I mean, Hufflepuff can be kind of neutral, which is kind of a nice thing as far as, as a trait of our house, we don't tend to try to start fights with other houses and we do try to get along with most people. It's kind of a, you know, something that we don't see a lot about Hufflepuffs throughout the series right this is pretty much the most representation that my house gets in the whole shebang but um you know i can see hufflepuffs as being a nice neutral to either pair with slytherins and classes or you know they're typically a fairly easygoing ish bunch yeah although they do not we do know one of the first things we hear about hufflepuff is that draco mapboy would go home if he was sorted into Hufflepuff. Yes. So I mean, not I'm not really respected. Not really <laughs> so. saying that we may be respected, but yet at the same time, Slytherin's probably not going to be like super upset like they would be if it was a Gryffindor, you know, like what like we see them do with Harry. But if somebody older than Harry and Gryffindor had gotten chosen as champion, they would probably have been really upset. But I think of Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff as kind of being the neutral buffers between those warring, yes. feuding houses. Yes. And I mean, Hufflepuff, as you said, it's neutral. There's not a lot of people that are standout in Hufflepuff. Not necessarily that they're not talented, but in the Harry Potter series, there's not a lot of popular, really, Hufflepuffs that other students acknowledge as being outstanding. Right. Except for Cedric. Um, he, his background, I mean, seems to be the son of two loving parents um, who weren't you know, perfect people. His dad's a bit of a braggart and yeah, his, his, his dad definitely can grate a little bit when we meet him, you yeah. know, but he's definitely proud of his son and he loves his son. Yeah. And that's to definitely not bad people. No. And you know, when we had our parents episode, we talked about more like the bad side of, but this <laughs> was like a good representation of, you know, fatherhood. Yeah. And, and they weren't, of course, again, putting aside cursed child, they were not bitter, after his death, they were obviously grieving and sad, but they did not blame Harry. They, 
they they seem to have been pretty have good head on their shoulders. There is their son with a good head on their his shoulders, um, and he eventually became a prefect. Yeah, and you know for the longest time I thought he was a seventh year, but he was not. And he was just seventeen, right? Yeah, he was seventeen. So he turned seventeen before Halloween in nineteen ninety four, but after September first. So yeah, <laughs> sometime in September or October. Yeah. Uh, so he wasn't head boy. For, uh, he's the kind of person that would have become head boy though. Mm-hmm. Um. Because for head boy, you're really looking for either like supreme academic and, you know, just rule, rule following standouts like Percy, or you're looking for someone who's personable enough to be able to listen to other students and solve disputes and just kind of more of a diplomatic figure. Yeah. And Cedric seemed to combine those traits in mm-hmm. many ways. I, I don't remember that they talked, they probably talked about his owls at some point. His dad, I imagine his dad brings it up at some point in the books. I don't remember the specifics. But I, I, he certainly, you know, had good grades. He wasn't, teacher, teachers liked him too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really know much about him again, except that he's fair and contested the win until we get to book four, when he becomes a champion and Harry does too. And at first, I, the first interaction we have with Cedric after that is that Cedric he's doesn't believe Harry and kind of gets this snide. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's a little bit... I mean, he had he was he was understandably disappointed that he wasn't the only Hogwarts champion. That Harry was going to get way more attention than him, but mm-hmm. he does get a little bit snippy with Harry. Honestly, I don't blame him. Yeah, you would think that. Yeah, he rigged it somehow. How did he? How did this kid get past the blah blah blah? But then you take into conf- consideration that this is Harry, and the world is against him, and fate is not kind. So yes, Harry has simultaneously the worst and the best luck in the Harry Potter series. Yeah, which is befitting of the main character. Yes, <laughs> anybody else, and it would be like a clown thing. But no, I I don't necessarily blame him, especially you know like right after it happened, you know, the first couple interactions, and he does kind of come around. But I would be I would be a bit chuffed too, you know that yeah there's this kid and he already gets so much attention and now he's taking the attention off of, you know, yeah. The people who are actually qualified to be running in the tournament. I I would be annoyed. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Certainly. I, it doesn't, obviously since I'm a staunch defender, I doesn't make me dislike his character a ton, but it does. Harry doesn't really appreciate it. Um, Well, no, but I think it makes actually Cedric relatable. Yeah. Which is something that Cedric can easily not be. Right. When you just look at his qualifications and like his character, you know, and how everybody is just building him up to be this like young God type of thing. <laughs> the next coming of Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah. Hopefully it didn't end that way, but is it still didn't end good? No. I never thought about that. But there's a lot of things, comparisons because, you know, same, similar upbringing, similar. And they're in the same book. Yeah. Academic. Yeah. Same book. And if Cursed Child is believed, both led astray to Voldemort. Um, aye, aye, don't aye. put that in there. That's delete that. That I don't believe that. I don't want to, I don't want to waste time expounding yeah. on nope. it. <laughs> I think we need, we need to explore that a little bit more. And anyway, um, let's not give that voice. No, we, if we, that's a whole other episode if we want to have that discussion. Um, anyway, so he's a little bit arrogant. He kind of relishes the attention a little bit. We get the idea. It's not that he's braggy like his dad is and he is embarrassed when his dad brags, but the school turns very heavily to him mm-hmm. and against Harry mm-hmm. after after the goblet puts Harry's name out. And he and he kind of eventually gets embarrassed by it and tells Harry that I'm asking him to, you know, stop being mean to you, but he doesn't really 
<laughs> make yeah. much of an effort. No. He's, he had a lot of influence, and he didn't really wield it to put a stop to anything. But he does exchange favors with Harry once he realizes that Harry is not trying to get him killed or <laughs> for the tournament. Well, I think I think once he, especially after the first challenge, he sees that Harry can actually handle himself in innovative and unique ways. And that, <laughs> you know, I think he comes around to the idea that this kid's way over his head. He didn't ask for it. Yeah, and he helped, and Harry helped him. He mm-hmm. didn't have to. There was no obligation, but he yeah. knew that it would have been a terribly unfair thing. Um, so he told Cedric what the he told Cedric what the first task was, um, and I part of me doesn't think that Cedric believed him, mm-hmm. but prepared anyway just in case. Yeah. And well, that's the smart thing to do. That would be what I would do. Just be yeah. like, mm, okay, all right, <laughs> I will look into this anyway, but well, we'll see. Yeah, but it was dragons, and what? so when Harry couldn't figure out the egg. Cedric uh, returned the favor in a much more vague and obscure way, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because Harry wouldn't really have had access to a bath, yeah, at least the prefix bath. To and I do wonder why he didn't just say we have to go to the bottom of the lake to the Mer Village instead of take a bath and let me help you break the rules. Go at night to the prefix bath and let me give you the password. Uh, you shouldn't be there. Like, it's there's got more be- interesting of a plot point. <laughs> I know, but. <laughs> I, I, it is, and a lot of things happened that night that were important to the story, but come on. <laughs> Harry just said dragons, and yeah. then we got to go do this whole rigmarole here. Yeah, and he wonders about it. In the book, he wonders, you know, he's bitter about the fact that he gave Cedric specific instructions, and Cedric gave him this this vague, not even a hint, but just like a take a bath. <clears throat> take a bath, bring the egg. Yeah, and, and in hindsight, sometimes when, like, characters are whiny like that, then then the readers start, you know, to, to, because we are so omniscient, then we mm-hmm. can say, Oh, there's, there's a better way. There's a reason he's doing this, but we never got to the point where we understood the reason. So we kind of had this intellectual arrogance about that part without, <laughs> <laughs> without significant justification. There. Yes. So why he did that, we don't know, but he did help Harry. And then the third task, um, Harry saves his life. He saves him from being mauled. Yeah. But then he gets killed because of Harry. Okay. Well, yeah, we haven't come to that point oh, yet. Okay. 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 You said this saves his life, and I was like, mm. "Yes, well, okay." They're at, they're at the cup. Cedric is closer. Harry sees the giant spider slash acromantula. For those of you who were want the technical by that term, word. so the acromantula slash giant spider was charging at Cedric, and Harry distracted it and drew uh, Cedric's attention to it. And they fought it together, and Harry was injured. Um, and this is the point where Harry Harry's guilt comes in. I think later on after the fact. Um, Cedric could have taken the, the trophy and Harry encouraged him to um, and he said no because he's very fair minded and he Harry had helped him several times in the maze and um, he insisted Harry take it Harry said no because you want you're closer I can't get there and then Harry, Harry proposed which I think is also important the idea that they take it together mm-hmm. um, Cedric agrees and they take it and they're both transported by the port key at this point i mean there's so many different ways this this scene could go it's i love this scene i think it shows a lot about harry i mean he's not he's being nice but he's really mad too so it's like you see you see a lot of how he you know his emotional stability is not quite where some people think a hero maybe should be but again he's 14 he's 14 he's injured he's upset he just lost the tournament so he's angry but also be trying to do the right thing um and if it had gone the way of him convincing cedric then Cedric would have taken the trophy and 
died, but Voldemort probably wouldn't have come back because mm-hmm. Voldemort refused to come back with anybody's blood but Harry. Mm-hmm. If Harry had said, yes, I'll take it, I'll win, then Voldemort would have come back, but Cedric wouldn't have died. Instead, they somehow landed on the worst possible option, Yeah, which was they both take it. Cedric. And both, yeah, Cedric dies and Voldemort comes back. Yes. Um, so that is really the last decision that Cedric makes mm-hmm. is to 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 ex- not take the trophy and then agree to take it with Harry. Um, and he doesn't really have time to to even think much of anything else before before Voldemort orders his death and mm-hmm. he's gone. Um. So yeah. <laughs> it's a very tragic end and really the first it's so sudden too i think yeah and that's the first real like death besides like quarrel um the first one that we we that harry and we see just happen right there in our faces and that's not a bad guy yeah that we're excited honestly to kind of see pass into oblivion um it's just it's so quick and it just is like (laughs) yeah you know he he just had this huge adrenaline with you know uh, getting through the tournament maze and co-winning and all of a sudden whoosh they're gone in a port key which is odd and then you know bada bing bada boom Cedric's dead yeah and I mean he's an all-around decent talented guy in general so Mm -hmm. I'm not saying again I don't agree with Cursed Child that he would have gone dark it for any petty reason but um it was it was really the death of an innocent mm-hmm. in the war. He he did not fight. He didn't even know there was a fight. Mm-hmm. It was kind of kind of hit me the same way that Cedric uh, not Cedric. <laughs> it kind of hit me the same way that Hedwig's death yeah. hit me, where she didn't choose to do anything except for be with Harry. Cedric didn't choose to do anything except for take that trophy with Harry, mm-hmm. and then he's dead without even being involved right. in the war. And and I think that's why it hits Harry so hard. Yeah. You know, because it's it's one of the deaths, one of the few deaths that he really I mean, he, he feels responsible for a lot of things with the war and how things are turning out and people dying. But that's the one that he really just struggles with. Again, I think because he understands that, you know, if Cedric hadn't taken the cup with Harry, that he would still be alive. Yeah. And like I said, Harry was the one who proposed that. Yeah. The one who said, take it with me. And if he had just taken said, it. Yeah. Or again, it wouldn't have been a good outcome, but, or just said, no, you, you, you take it. Yeah. Um, either outcome would be better. Neither good, but better than what actually happened. Right. Just for Harry's mental health would have been better. I guess maybe it said or dying would it's not great in any kind of thing. Well, yeah, that's true. Voldemort wouldn't come back that time. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think that is one of the things like Hedwig, Hedwig leaves a big mark on Harry, Harry's soul. Cause yeah. And Dobby too, although I don't put Dobby in the same category. Dobby he did make a choice. choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference too. I think Harry can be more absolved in his mind of those because people, you know, if he rationalizes it out, obviously he, he's still upset and everything when people die because he feels like they're dying for him. But the ones that didn't make a choice are the ones I think that weigh more heavily on him. Yeah. And that are just, you feel sadder. Mm-hmm. Even though the other deaths are obviously sad as well. At least they knew what they were getting into. So that was a downer. How do we end this on a happy note? Um, we don't end this on a happy note. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole episode's a downer. That's Spoiler. Cedric Diggory. His impact is felt, though, throughout the rest of the series. We see that with Cho in oh, the yeah. next book. Oh, Cho. We're not going to get started on Cho. We will talk about her someday and all the many issues that she had and Harry and she had. But, um, but yeah, that's her. why she wanted to come and fight. She 
wanted to maybe not avenge, but she realized, you know, there was a war and that it did need fighting for. And I think she and many others were galvanized into acting because they cared about Cedric and the ministry was disregarding him and treating him infamously. (laughs) And they, they were offended and upset Mm -hmm. and horrified on his behalf that they are talking about, you know, his death as if it were nothing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't nothing. It wasn't nothing. And they, that kind of drew them to him. He wasn't nothing. Yeah. Because the ministry didn't even really try to explain away his death. They said it was a tragic accident, but there's no marks on his body. There's only a few ways that can happen. They don't really even try to... There's no real investigation, it doesn't seem like. Right. Dumbledore, in his eulogy, kind of uses Cedric as a rallying point in many ways. And I think a lot of students did answer that call. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that was... Did he exploit Cedric's death? Possibly. Did he have many other great options for getting the truth out there? Possibly. Possibly. Again, that's not the way it's written. So, it's if Dumbledore had really wanted to go toe to toe with the Ministry, he could have. He could have. It would have cost him some favors. It would have cost him a lot, probably. But he was focusing by that point on figuring out how to kill Voldemort, I think, and let to do that. He knew he needed as many soldiers, <laughs> yeah, as he could get. So Cedric's death was really the opening salvo to Voldemort's return, and there are a lot of very important things that happen that night. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. Yes. First of all, just for Harry's character growth, I think it's huge. It's the first time he's faced down multiple opponents. First time he's really been tortured. He's faced Voldemort before, and yes, Voldemort has hated him, but it's the first time his full wrath, I feel like, has descended upon Harry. Um, yeah, because he's now in a position to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, because Quirrell, when he was with Quirrell... Uh, he did. He his main focus was the stone, and he wasn't in a position to help. To we didn't him. realize what a threat Harry could potentially right. be as an eleven-year-old. Yeah, and when he met him in the Chamber of Secrets, he was meeting a version of him that didn't really understand what had happened, or right. that he didn't hadn't lived through the experiences that Voldemort had. So the first time that I feel like Voldemort regarded him as an as an opponent, as a not equal, he certainly didn't regard him as equal, but at least as a threat. Mm-hmm was in the graveyard and i feel like that experience changed harry in many many ways right well and graveyard graveyard voldemort wasn't the same as chamber of secrets voldemort so it's not like he had that memory to draw back on either Mm. though right you think about that because that's a horcrux and voldemort didn't know it had been destroyed so he had no idea actually so like voldemort (laughs) 2.0 is kind of how i think of it in a way side voldemort so yes there was you know, it, w- it was Voldemort. It was a young Voldemort, but it was still him in Chamber of Secrets, but not necessarily the Voldemort that we have for most of the series. Yeah. And in Chamber of Secrets and uh, Sorcerer's Stone, the encounters have kind of the, the flavor of Harry's carrying out an adventure. Mm-hmm. And yes, like again, a hero's quest-esque yes. thing. He has the boss fight at the end and it's yeah. Voldemort. And, and, you know, he's fighting the, the creature and yeah. he's... And again, it's only one person that's opposing him at that point. And this is not not set at all. It's mm-hmm. not a hero's quest. It's not an adventure. It is just brutality. Mm-hmm. And again, it changes him. It changes the series. And it forces him, I think, to grow up in ways that he hasn't yet um, and accept the harsh realities of his life. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it's, when you're looking at it canonically throughout the series, it's, it's time. It, creative writing standpoint looking at this, I think we talked a little bit about book three before Mm -hmm. how it's kind of a good bridge 
between your two more episodic hero's journey books to this where this is where we get justification for this upcoming fight where we start really understanding the machinations and what's going on and it's setting up the rest of the story. It's transitional, but it's still, you know, you need something this jarring because it has been more of a children's series up to this point. You, if you're going to make it go further and grow with your audience and grow with your hero, something just has to happen that is a huge climax to the action that's happened so far, and it's going to be completely different from everything that you've had. Why was Harry in the graveyard in the first place? Why go through an extremely convoluted plot that had a thousand ways could have gone wrong and been found out to get Harry into that graveyard? It was for, as we mentioned earlier, his blood. The ritual that Voldemort used to regain his body had three significant materials. That's not an official designation. That's just something that I've chosen to call what they use in rituals because there's not really a great <laughs> organic matter is not really that helpful. So significant materials. The bone of the father. Mm-hmm unknowingly taken Mm -hmm. the flesh of the servant willingly sacrificed and the blood of the enemy forcibly taken i mean the graveyard is significant because it is his muggle father's family graveyard it's outside the riddle manor um that we've kind of gotten hints and glimpses of that's the significant part of where we are which we don't you know we kind of get to kind of more extrapolate that from what we see and the bone and all that. But um, so it's a place we've never been before. And, and also the basis for the beginning of Voldemort's long speech, by the way, <laughs> you stand Harry Potter upon the bones of my dead father. I'm not going to fool. It is a not a good series. If you do not have a villain monologue, he has somewhere. a really good villain monologue at the end of the series, by the way, <laughs> this book, it's, it's a good one. I mean, he doesn't get too many. Usually no, he's he fighting. Yeah. But this is or a yelling or, and I've memorized parts of it. <laughs> I am not surprised. But yeah, that's the that's the beginning. You stand, Harry Potter, upon the bones of my dead father. A muggle and a fool, not unlike your dead mother. <laughs> well, but his mother was not a muggle. Nor no. Fool. So that no, really yeah. actually doesn't work. Nice he, try, Voldemort. Um, yeah, he... I'm trying to think if he tries to bring it back to her being... Well, you know, but then he says... Um, but, but still, they both had their uses. The, your mother died protecting you, and look how useful my father has proven, even in death. Yeah, okay, then bringing it around works, but it's not a true statement in the beginning. It's not. I don't think he... I think he was... It was more a denigration of muggle-borns yeah, as yeah, yeah. calling them muggles that are not real, which is a wizard. Yeah, that would be what I would take from that, too. So, bond of the father, unknowingly given. Easy. Obviously, because he's dead. Obviously, because he's dead in there. And it's a grave. And then, flesh of the servant, willingly given, which is Peter Pettigrew sacrifices his whole hand. I'm just like, why don't you just, like, give a finger... Why don't we? <laughs> or why, like why not ear? just flesh? I mean, he had yeah. to give flesh, blood, and bone. In order to cut he went for thing. the whole Shazam. <laughs> just skin a little part, you know, get some shavings or something. Get some blood, get some something. Just <laughs> flesh. Just, just, yeah, no, he went full bore and um, into the hand, mm-hmm. into the cauldron, the hand goes. And then the last ingredient was the blood of the enemy forcibly taken, which. The main event. Yes. Hence why he needed Harry. He didn't want to do it without anybody else's blood but Harry and part of that I feel like is due to the prophecy that had been made you know does that tie anything back into it or is that just he was like "Eh, I'm just gonna come back in and get my comeuppance and I'm gonna kill you 
well, he tries. I'm going to kill you and I'm going to get this blood from you. And then I'm just going to completely like now have beaten this prophecy and come back and be like, ha ha ha. Let's take that well, prophecy. I don't know that the prophecy came into it a great deal. Voldemort didn't know that the prophecy existed at this point, <laughs> but he did not know most of what it said. He knew um, the one with the power to vanquish the dark Lord approaches born as end of July, end of July born to those who have thrice to fight him. Yeah. That's it. So he, and he had chosen Harry and though he did not know that he's, and though he did not know that he was going to mark him as his equal. And that was what the choosing of Harry was. He did had decided that Harry was the object of the prophecy, yeah. but there was, he did not know about the, the power of the dark Lord knows not. If he had known that, yes, I'd probably say the prophecy factored into his decision, but he didn't. Yeah. And I think that the plan, which like I said, was very risky, very long. He delayed his come, his return by months mm-hmm. to get Harry. I don't think he would have sacrificed that um, unless there was a very good reason, which there was. It mm-hmm. was unrelated to the prophecy though. Um, let's see. What you have to understand about the ritual Voldemort used is that the significant materials became his body. He didn't regain his old body. His new blood was Harry's blood. Mm-hmm. His new bones were his father's. His new flesh was worm-tailed, which is weird oh. <laughs> and gross. Um, so when he used Harry's blood in the ritual... <laughs> oh, I'm getting chills from that. Ugh. Yeah, this is very dark, guys. This is very gross. Wow. Um, yeah. When Not he, quite as bad as Horcruxes, but still. No. Yeah. And we've already canvassed that in a very gross episode. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. Not sorry. Inflict that, inflicted that on the world. Um, so when he took Harry's blood, like I said... Harry's blood became his own. Harry's blood carried with it Lily Potter's sacrifice still at that point, um, which had been enhanced then by Dumbledore Mm -hmm. and his living with the Dursleys. So Voldemort had experienced during Sorcerer's Stone that he could not stand up to Lily Potter's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And therefore, okay, yeah, he's this prophesied defeater. So yes, therefore he could not stand up to the person that was said to be able to kill him because... So yeah, maybe the prophecy did come into it because he did not want to be unable to confront the person who was prophesied to be able to kill him. Um, and he also wanted that protection for himself. So he figured out, again, very smart guy. He realized that this ritual that he's using, if he took Harry's blood, then he would have the protection and also it would level the playing field between the two of them. Right. Ritually, not magically, because obviously Voldemort's much older and has more... More power and knowledge, yeah. yeah. At that point, he's here. He's no slouch, but right at that point, though, Voldemort is his superior mm-hmm. in magical ability. Um, and so that when in the movie, if you've only read the movie, it's, it might be a little bit of a confusing moment when he touches his scar and Harry's screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, he explains a little bit better in the books that that showed that he could touch him now because of the blood. Right. The blood allowed him then to directly attack Harry without harming himself. Right. Which is like we saw with Quirrell. When Quirrell right. touched him, he disintegrated. Right. <laughs> it was very, so. <laughs> it went poorly for him. So, um, yes, that, so that is why at that he point, makes such a big deal about the touching fact that touch. Yes. Yeah. It's painful because Harry has a sliver, of his soul, a sliver of his soul in his body. That is calling Which, back to Voldemort. Yeah, to me, I'm always I'm a little intrigued by the fact that why doesn't Voldemort question a little bit more when Harry screams when he touches him because he just touches him. Yeah, like you know, it's not he doesn't 
curse him while he's touching him or anything. There's no real reason that Harry should be necessarily screaming other than we know his scar starts hurting un- unbearably yeah. when Voldemort touches him. Um, so I don't know. That would be something I don't think in the moment necessarily he would think about, but like ruminating on it. Like, Why did he scream? Yeah. I have had that thought about if Voldemort had displayed a little bit more curiosity, because I guess I assumed that at that point, Harry's scar pain was no secret. He had been published in the daily prophet that he was complaining about pain, his scar after mm-hmm. seeing visions and, and Harry had, both in Sorcerer's Stone and earlier in the book, whenever Voldemort was near, kind of been touching a scar and pain, painful. So I think that probably it was common knowledge among the Death Eaters that and an established fact that Harry's scar, that that Voldemort made Harry's scar hurt. Right. Well, yeah, because all the Death Eaters are there. Yeah. They're coming. Yeah, I, I know think, they're there. I think it, Harry's... It's a little bit maybe of a plot hole that Voldemort didn't explore this more because he is so curious and so smart. Um, but he does have a very significant blind spot where Harry is concerned. It's true. He might have just taken the satisfaction of the fact that he's causing his enemy unbearable pain and walked. Yeah. And I think there's probably a lot of stuff on his mind, too. He has to reassert his dominance. Yeah. And start his criminal empire yeah, back up again, pretty much from the ground up. And after the fact, I mean, he staked his ability to lead and his entire reputation on his ability to kill Harry that night in front of yeah. his Death Eaters. And he didn't. So yeah. after the fact, he's probably a little bit more concerned with damage control (laughs) (laughs) with oh my goodness he needs to die right now (laughs) than any mysteries Uh, of his scar yeah um and you have to remember that this is the first time anyone's ever survived the avada kedavra yeah so uh, i don't think anybody's too terribly concerned about all these weird symptoms that harry's displaying because i mean there's no previous case to disprove that this should be happening so at this point he harry has part of soul they share the same blood and then later that night as well their wands connect because they are brother wands. Mm -hmm. And as we find out later, that actually has an impact on the wands themselves. Mm -hmm. They could then recognize the other person, the other wand and the other person. Again, very much not explained in the movies. And the seventh movie, we see them, you know, when they're flying through the air and they kind of like snap together and then we see Voldemort's cracks. But yeah, like that's not explained. Yeah. And it's, it's explained in the books. I'm actually looking back on it I find it interesting that she even bothered including that and that ended up in the final draft because it really wasn't, it had one of the best Harry Dumbledore lines ever when Dumbledore says, brags about how his guesses are usually good and then Harry <laughs> says, asks about the wands and he says, oh, I can't be sure. And Harry just says, have a guess then. <laughs> Come on, Dumbledore. Come on, Dumbledore. <laughs> Don't let him get away with it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I, I'm, again, surprised that it made it into the book because it doesn't really have much to do with anything else. Yeah. But it is kind of the final sealing of the two of them together. Um, and their connection. Yeah. You know, it establishes those ties. And it gives us the first foreshadowing, really, of Harry being a horcrux. Yeah. And it, I mean, he sees shadows of other victims, mm-hmm. his parents and uh, Cedric Diggory again, and the muggles mm-hmm. that he had killed. Just muggle, singular. One muggle and Bertha Jorkins. And Harry's will overcomes Voldemort, which I feel like is very important. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of Harry's more grave and harrowing experiences like this, like Dumbledore in the cave, aren't really explored in great detail later. Like he doesn't really digest them and share them with his friends or really in a health process them in a healthy way. So this, I feel like, was one of the things that just got lost and never really brought up again because he wasn't really in a mindset to deal with it. But 
the fact that he overcame Voldemort's wand, that he overcame Voldemort, mm-hmm. showed a significant, <laughs> significant development in his abilities and his mindset and in Voldemort's uh, weakness and his Achilles heel, which mm-hmm. was Harry's just has more than him, mm-hmm. more whatever That's you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. He's when, when the going gets tough, Harry is the, is the one left standing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's very telling for the final battle as well. Yeah. Yeah, the final battle, Harry overcomes him in will and in actual knowledge. And he's he's developed into someone who, who can yeah, confront this, him on a more even this level. This is the rough, diamond in the rough version of yes. the Harry that we see in book seven and the final battle. Yeah. I won't say all of book seven, but in the final battle, all of the stuff that the pieces start kind of getting in play here in this mm-hmm. moment it all comes together and we see Harry really avenge himself from this moment. Yeah. Cause at this moment, Harry is holding on for dear life and trying to survive. Right. He and runs away. Right. Which is a not bad decision. I mean, he's not, 14. Yeah. He's 14 and he's again, surrounded by enemies and he doesn't know anything about, you know, there's so much he needs to, he needs to develop more magically. He needs to, develop yeah. more in his knowledge and understanding of what's happening and going on like this was the advent of his signature spell which was Expelliarmus because he couldn't think of anything else to cast like that was <laughs> carries through he thought about Lockhart and, and because he said duel and his mind went to Lockhart then to Expelliarmus and it's such a 14 year old thing yes and then he used I mean he uses it several times later on but mm-hmm. that that's not something that I mean he knows it, it works but it works but not because he expects it to but it works because it catches everyone off guard because it's not yeah. something people expect in a like life or death situation. Yeah. Well, it worked because it, any spell would have worked because it, the wand's connected. Yeah, true. So it was, it was kind of thing that yes, he does. It does become kind of a signature for him, so he uses it in later situations. But um, it he, I think he used it in the final battle just because it was a signature, not because he was trying to it, that it made sense in context. Yeah. Um. Anyway, of course, it also it did make a little bit of sense because when it connected. It disarmed him. Yeah. And Harry got the wand. Ta-da. Yeah. But yeah, so we were talking about books one, two, and possibly three being more hero journey books-esque. They take that format. They take that methodology and expound on it in different ways, but that's it. But I really feel like book four is when we really start to see Harry start to become a hero in a yeah. way. Not necessarily he starts triumphing, but he starts having the pitfalls of what you need to develop and grow either as a person, as main character of a story, he starts having those great internal conflicts, which help him become a more tenacious and just, um, he, he starts to become the hero that we see in book seven after this moment. Yeah. The first few books, he, it's not that he didn't go through tough things and, you know, overcome very significant challenges, but it didn't have lasting impact per se. It didn't. And it wasn't, even though they were so many of them personal attacks on him, it didn't feel that way. There were attacks on the boy who lived. They were kind of, he was there, yes, and he was fighting, but it wasn't, this was much more personal, mm-hmm. the way it was dealt with. Like I said, his full wrath was on Harry, and Harry had never really confronted something so adult and so evil. He was still treated like a child up until this point, I feel like, mm-hmm. in many of these his adventures, if you will. Yeah. And the kid gloves are off. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that it was a turning point for his character. He had to, he had to grow up. He had to start and it's forming convictions of his own right and it's it's really to me book five is where you see this impact immediately where his friends aren't that's i i thought about that earlier i forgot ah, to bring it up i'm glad yeah, thank you yes thank you. because he had this experience and 
And even though he tells Ron and Hermione about it, they don't get it. They don't have that same maturing. They feel they they effect. empathize with Harry that he's going through this, and they they want to help him. But they haven't been through this, and it, it's immediate with the Thestrals. You just immediately yeah. see it um, in book five. You know, Harry now has seen someone die, and and he's very mad and frustrated with Ron and Hermione the entire fifth book, and the way he treats them is unfair. But the way that they re- don't understand why he's mad that they left him alone for all summer, why he thinks that, why they're blithely asking him to teach them defense against the dark arts, like it's, you know, just a nice favor, mm-hmm. upsets him. Why The way they're t- talking about Cedric and the the way that they treat him, again, it's empathetic. It's not like they're you know, yeah, being it's not mean, mean, but they're it's not, careless in a way yeah. that they don't understand that they're being careless. But, but they does. haven't had real world impact until the Battle of um, right. the Department of Mysteries at the end of book five. And that's when they're all on the same page in book six. Yeah. As far as I mean, teenage angst aside. But <laughs> as far as this has real world consequences, they watch Sirius die. You know, yeah. they they get it then. Like they got it before in a metaphorical sense, but they, again, they didn't have been that able maturing to experience. It. Yeah. And I, again, Harry, the way he treats them is not okay. He yells at them and belittles them sometimes. But the way that they can't understand Harry, I think is just an effect of their different experiences. Right. I mean, they still have that childish innocence yeah. about them. They haven't, I mean, which is understood, understandable. And, yeah. you know, in an ideal world, you'd hope that people would hang on to that yeah. for a little bit longer. Yeah. But it does make, I think, Harry more sympathetic when you think about how difficult it is for him not to have anybody who really gets it and yeah. who, who is treating him with a little bit of more of blithe ignorance with a little bit of blithe ignorance and again, not maliciously, not cruelly, but just, I, I understand why he's angry. Also, he's, you know, jumping in and out of old Mort's head. So <laughs> that had an effect. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the blood, the whole eaten night, that graveyard that was 25 years ago had far reaching consequences for the series, for the wizarding world, for Harry personally, and really the aftershocks were felt the rest of the rest of the books and I think improved them. I think the changes were for the better because it did mature everything and take it to a higher stakes level. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. It's interesting to see Harry's character development really start to take an accelerated turn after the end of this book based on the events there and just the added depth that this brings to the harry potter series and it's felt throughout the rest of the series thank you for joining us today we hope you'll check us out on facebook twitter and patreon we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to hear your ideas so be sure to let us know if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes or content that you'd like to see from us and we hope that you will join us in two weeks for our next episode of dwelling on dreams